Want to know what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur? Welcome to Kathy Talk. I'm your host, Kathy Hernandez. As an entrepreneur, what did you learn from going to all those institutions that set you up for entrepreneurship? Um, about people and life, and you know, I just met so many different people. Um, and then I think a lot of the, a lot of my like hustle and like resilience mindset, and you know, like, hey, whatever happens, especially as an entrepreneur, you got to be ready to take the punches and and you know, shift and adapt. Entrepreneurship is a journey filled with many roadblocks and obstacles that require constant refocusing and perseverance in order to make it through. And the journey of my next guest is one filled with self-destruction to redefining success as self-love. Help me in welcoming the CEO and founder of Hair Made in India, Rocky Candola. Hey Rocky, what's up? Hey, hey, how's it going this morning? Awesome. It's your morning, my afternoon. <laughs> time zones, the time zones. <laughs> All right. So when I think of a hair company or someone who works in hair, I don't think of a man, not to be sexist, but I don't. <laughs> so how did you at the ripe age of 35 come into working and, and owning a hair what, manufacturing? So you hit the nail on the head. I get kind of I looked at sideways and asked the question a lot, like especially people that know me. Like Rocky, you hair? Like where did that come from? I've never, <laughs> I've never even seen you care about your own haircuts. Like, <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, uh, business these days, we, we have to all do what we do and, and kind of make it in the world. Um, for me, uh, 10, 15 years ago, where I was in my life, I was, um, you know, quite wild, quite crazy, uh, getting into a lot of trouble. Um, and, you know, I, I'll go into the story in detail later, but um, kind of the, the short version of it is I eventually wound myself up in quite a bit of trouble um, and sitting in an Alabama state prison um, about 12 years ago. Uh, I knew for- I heard an accent. <laughs> <laughs> I was in college like- <laughs> down there. So it speaks back up on me. I can't do anything about it. <laughs> I'm in Georgia, so I recognize that little it, twang it, you got. It doesn't go so, away. So you got locked up, yep. and then you had you had a life calling that um, showed you the way to hair? Kind of. I had a few of those quote-unquote life callings. Um, the first one, and the way the hair company actually started, it's a quite a cool story. While I was in prison... Um, instead of like doing everything everyone was doing, I was kind of brainstorming business plans. I was doing legal work for other people. I really wanted to be a lawyer. Um, however, I had a quite a lengthy, you know, three-year prison sentence in front of me, and it didn't seem like that was going to work out. So I started looking into business and what can I do when I get out. You know, I remember right before I went in, I started applying for jobs, and even Burger King at this point wouldn't give me a interview because I was a convicted felon. Um, so while we were in prison, underneath a hot, sweaty dorm full of 200 inmates and two guards, um, a bunkmate of mine snuck in a cell phone, and we'd sneak under his bed, put towels over it, and what, and have people look out for the correction officers for us and call out to his sister and his girlfriend uh, to make a one-page business plan about hair extensions. Um, what you know, made you? But what? What? Why? Why? So, okay. First of all, I got a lot of questions. <laughs> A lot of questions. It's very fascinating. I'm trying to wrap my brain around this, but we will get to the stint in a little bit. But hair of all the companies eight years ago, what was happening eight years ago that hair extensions was on the brain? Was that when it was like first blowing up? 
No, not at all. I mean, it was just one of the things. So there was probably 15 or 20 different sketches and drawings and business plans that I made while I was there. Um, okay. And so when I got out, finally, I, I dove right back in the same lifestyle. I, I was arrested for, you know. Uh, oh, under- man, you didn't learn. No, that, I'm not the type you can punish or beat up or, or, or threaten to change. It has to come from within and a higher energy and a higher power. Well, damn, that leaves that leads to a lot of life lessons, sweetie. If you if you if you don't learn, like I like to say, I learn vicariously through others. <laughs> like I don't have to have that experience to learn it, but and you need to be taught. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go through it a couple times until I'm like, oh, wait a minute, maybe I should try something different. <laughs> Okay, so wait a minute. All right, so before we get out, how did we get in? What 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 was it in your work? Because you're in your twenties, right? Yep. So granted, in your twenties, we all do stupid things, and like, and if any period of time you're gonna do stupid things, it would be in your teens and your twenties. Hopefully, not in your thirties and forties, right? Exactly. We hope we keep the crazy to young because then we got an excuse. You're youthful. You don't know any better. Exactly. So what what was it? You're in Alabama State. Yep. So uh and, I have and to Popo rewind. don't play down there. Oh not at all. They still don't play. There's no <laughs> games at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd have to rewind a little bit to actually get to how I got in prison. So from my age, my stupid things, I guess, started around the age of eleven. Um and from age eleven to seventeen, I was sent to nine different high schools, boot camps, military schools. And stay oh my gosh! World, yeah. So, you a um, drama? How did your parents even handle you? I don't know, man. They a blessing. They they ended up uh, creating what you see today, and uh, blessed now. And they're like, thank God he's doing good now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we had to go through it in the beginning. Um, so yeah, the first place I went to is called Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs. So, especially like a boot camp for teens. If you know Paris Hilton. Okay. Um, Paris mm-hmm. recently did a documentary about it, about these schools. Um, basically, you get kidnapped in the middle of the night, hands cuffed, feet cuffed at 11 years old by two tall people. What? They away to Mexico in a remote facility. Mexico? Yeah, that was my first one in Mexico. And um, Oh, my God. And you didn't shape up after that experience? Oh, I mean, that's how that's I went to three of those facilities and then a military school and a state school and uh, jail here and there once or twice. So. Wait, 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 wait. We got deeper issues we have to address here. Okay, hold on. Because I don't think you fully understand what I do. <laughs> I'm gonna have to get some some sage and like cleanse your spirit or whatever, because what what in the world? Were you just rambunctious, like acting out? Were you acting out because of trauma, drama? Like what was happening that made you this this explosive personality that you did obviously had a problem with authority right because you don't kidnap kids in the middle of the night hog tie them and throw them you know ship them to mexico unless they're like for real issues so at this point in my life i was basically just uh having issues with my parents i was like so i'm I'm coming from indian family they were first generation here uh wants us to study and stay in school and do well and listen to our parents that's what everybody does Exactly. And I always had good grades. I, I didn't need to study or take a test. I would be the kid that would finish all his tests within 10 minutes. Everyone else is still taking the test. I would get straight A's, straight 100s, actually. I wouldn't miss any questions. And that was all the way throughout high school, always, even in college. Um, even when you're acting a fool and getting arrested, you're like making straight A's. So yeah. what do you account for your behavior? So yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of wild. So to start back when I was 11, you know, it was just... Um, 
it was just me having a very strong will and wanting to explore, be out of the house. I played tennis. I'd practice three or four times a day, and I'd always want to be at the tennis park um, and, you know, hang out with the kids in the neighborhood. And my parents just weren't having that. On top of that, I talked back a lot. And then my father taught me how to drive at a very early age. Uh, so at around 11, I started sneaking out the car. And uh, I'll go to the mall. I live in a small town, right? So we go to Taco yeah. Bell and go to the beach and just sit there and... And, and everybody I, knows you're there because it's a small town, and everybody's like, "Did you see Vikram? Did you see him? Where's his mother? That, Call just, his mother." <laughs> <laughs> just like that. So I mean, honestly, it was pretty innocent stuff. I didn't even get into like partying or smoking or drinking until sixteen, seventeen. The early years are just like talking. It's like back. the nor normal age. Okay, so when did you get shipped to Mexico, though? I was twelve, I believe. I woke up in the middle of the night with the. What? is like there and they, they take you away um these these programs are crazy like they were shut down now for like child abuse rape torture suicide um all kind of stuff the mexican government actually finally came in and shut them down um That's so insane I, but yeah, did your parents pay for this to happen to you they did and my father was a physician my mother was busy with our two twins my little brother and sister so like uh -huh. they didn't put like the most research into where i was going it was an expensive school they marketed themselves oh. as being doctors and teachers and good food and this and that and they didn't have any doctors they didn't i didn't even have a teacher uh we weren't allowed to speak to anybody or write anybody you know it was a very very strict very very physical very very uh, wow so you were basically in a concentration camp style <laughs> like don't talk don't 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 move sit here this is your life now head shaved clothes off in the middle no! of the in the morning in the rain getting pans and pots thrown at you like it, it was uh it was what? yeah i mean it's, some of them are still around they've changed their names if you like look up on youtube like gulag schools or wwasp uh, there's a lot of like survivor groups out there where like people we weren't allowed to know each other's names or where we're from so we all found each other finally thanks to facebook and and, and social media and now we wow. have wow oh that's right because it was before the time of facebook so you were actually didn't have that connection so not at all. All right. So you're in this concentration camp in Mexico. How'd you how'd you break out? I'm surprised you didn't escape all these times. You've been in so many institutions, you didn't find a way to escape. <laughs> yeah, you know what's crazy is as an adult, I actually visited there about six months ago and I went and saw the facility I was in. And when I was a kid, the walls looked so big. Right. As an adult now, you know, six foot two, I'm like, man, I could have maybe made it over that wall. But like <laughs> as a kid, you know, there's water on one side, mountains on one side. We were told what a Mexican drug lord stayed on one side of it. So uh, like, yeah, probably here. true. No one tried to leave. We we're just like, we're here, we're stuck. There's guards everywhere, there's cameras everywhere, we can't get out. So like wow. escape wasn't an option. We were told at twelve that if we didn't graduate the program, which is a whole crazy another story, that we'd be given fifty dollars and a bus pass and put on the border of the US and Mexico because our parents don't want us anymore and they won't talk to us. There's no I'm going to scare my daughters with this story, by the oh, way. <laughs> you want to go to Mexico? You don't like my, you don't like this rules in this house? You could go to Mexico. <laughs> hey, scared my brother and sister. My brother and sister never got in any trouble. They stayed home, graduated at home. Uh, in the area. They did good. So maybe that's what right. it was like. Dude, the life lesson is for you to learn. Let's see how you turned out. So we're 12 years old. Now we're out of this program. You go home, go back home. Uh, so my, my dad got moved us out of where we were in Mississippi to a private school. So he took the whole family like about 40 miles away to an okay. Alabama town instead of Mississippi. 
Okay. And so I came back. My name was on the roster at this private, prestigious, good old boy school in, in Mobile, Alabama. Yeah. Uh, six months, they kept calling my name. So finally, I got there six months later, and everyone had all these stories of this crazy kid who stole cars and went to jail in Mexico. So, like, I already had that rep when I got there. But you this. only stole your father's car. Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, how rumors get like gossip. You were the you were like the superpower hero of the school. They're like, he's a badass. He's coming into our school. Everybody knew me when I first got there. I think I was a freshman, and like all the seniors, I was able to hang out with all the seniors. You were the story. Exactly. <laughs> and I didn't, even, I didn't even want to be. I just wanted to like. I was happy to be like out of that place, like in a normal place now. Um, but you know that's what the way it turned out, and I got kicked out of that school with short. Seven months later, this uh, <laughs> this kid this kid called me a, a sand n word, and uh, oh. I thought, if you said that again, I would. I was thirteen. I was like, if you said that again, I'll kill you, and they they kicked me out of school for that. So, oh my gosh, you know, but I mean, in the south, I'm in Georgia. Yeah, in, in the northwest Georgia, which is probably like forty five minutes away from Alabama, about. Two hours away from Birmingham. That's where I'm. I am. Yeah. And yeah, you run into those people who are just ignorant. There's no other way to say it. But you already were a hothead, and you already were like had this mystique about you going into the situation. So yeah, never a high. I was always like loving. Like I, I, people would try to fight me, and I would like give them a hug. Like I was always like. Very <laughs> Caring and nice. I just like I would talk back. I was like I was I was very smart. I've always like kind of been like smarter. Not want to say than average, just especially down there than people around me. And, <laughs> especially down there. <laughs> it is what it is, right? <laughs> hey, I'm I'm not objecting to that assessment. <laughs> um, yeah. So like you know, I mean, it was a couple of things that happened at school, and a lot of it. I, when I got to that school after being in Mississippi, my father was a physician in Mississippi. So people knew us, like knew my father, mm -hmm. had a lot of respect. In Alabama, no one knew us. And I realized for the first time, like, wait a minute, I'm not white. I'm not like everyone around me. I don't have this golden ticket. I'm a min minority. I'm a foreign person here. And right. Alabama in that school really made me realize that. Um, yeah. you know, and from there, you know, it's, it's once again, a, a crazy story from 13, 14, 15, 16. I was just left that school, went to some private one-on-one -on -one schools, then I got shipped to military school in, near you, actually, in Gainesville, Georgia, uh, Riverside Military Academy. I was oh, there. Oh, gosh. And that was the last time. I didn't get kicked out of there, but I had to leave. I was like, because that's when I first started fighting. I learned to fight because I was the biggest of all the sophomores, and mm. all the my class wanted to see me fight and get beat up by the seniors. And the seniors were cool with me, like, because I used to so another story of how I got into this stuff. I used to sneak out of there and go buy cigarettes and dip off uh, the gas station for $5 and come back and sell them for $50. Okay, let me just ask you a question. For stealing your father's car at 12, you were shipped off to a Mexican concentration camp prison. And that did not change your behavior at all? At all, it didn't make you think like, hey, maybe I shouldn't be stealing shit and like jumping out of windows and like not no. listening to my parents. Like that didn't change your mind how you should behave in life right now. <laughs> made me more rebellious. That's it. Oh it? my god! Like you, you went through it. So now you got that. You got that body armor on. You're like, what? This is this is nothing. Military academy. I was in prison in Mexico. <laughs> 
Exactly, and that's how it kept going until, like we we're saying, eventually it wound up in in big boy prison, as they call it. So, all right. So that was how many years ago? Uh, the military school. I was fifteen. So okay. twenty. Years ago. So from there, you had to leave. Yep, and I went to a Catholic boarding school in South Mississippi, near the border of Louisiana. Oh my gosh! I was at a dorm there. And they were trying to get the demon out of you. <laughs> yeah, I was. Just like, I was. I wasn't being rude. I guess at that. I guess looking back at it, I was pretty sarcastic to whatever they were doing and and all yeah. that. And I was like, what are y'all doing? This is crazy. But I played football for them as well, and like they were kind of like leaning lean towards me. Um, until one day, my science teacher like ripped my. I used to write rhymes and like uh, journals and stuff, and he ripped it out of my hand, and like I jumped in his face and grabbed it back. And I was like, I walked out of his class um, and like the dorm fathers in there, like when you put like the, the, the dorm fathers, like 30 years old or the most, like mm -hmm. when you put in a, an environment where they have kids that don't want to be there, because some of the kids wanted to be at this place. Right. I did. Um, but they don't know what to do either, except like resort to like violence or grabbing us. And right. at this point, like I knew like I could get out of the f building easily and run away. And I knew that I could defend myself. So I was like, you're not putting your hands on me. Um, so the first time that they did try that, you know, I sat on the guy held him down like didn't hit him punch him at all and just kind of waited and they called the police and they're like oh, okay well you don't need to be at this school and i was like i don't want to be at this school oh uh, my god so they finally uh my dad finally, <laughs> you know what we'll, we'll let you go back to your public school that you started at so the school that i mysteriously disappeared from all the friends at 12 when i got sent to mexico and got taken away in the middle of the night i ended up back there four years later three feet taller with all these chips on my shoulder and just ready to like party and and be free i thought anyway and uh we went to spring break one one week and i had a friend of mine driving we were coming back and he got pulled over in my car uh, and we had alcohol like some beer in the car uh no one was drunk but we had minor in possession of alcohol took everybody to jail everybody got a slap on the wrist but me a week later i got sent back to the same program picked up in the middle of the night and oh shit. no the cartel came back for you they, oh this, my god Order of Canada and New York. So it took me the opposite direction up there. Well, but let me tell you something. Wait, 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 wait. Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me interject here. These are signs. <laughs> These are signs. When you have recurring issues, like recurring situations, and it keeps popping up, like you ran into an issue, and then there was a problem with this person, and then, but then the issues intensify and they get worse and worse. That is a sign from the universe that yeah. you need to look at what is happening because you're not addressing the core reason why it happened. I still think there's a reason at 10, you, you had this kind of attitude or something had to have happened early on that paved way for these behaviors to happen. And then you just learn the behavior, learn to deal with it, learn to get stronger, learn to like uh, compartmentalize your personality, right? Cause you're super smart, you're making grades, you're, you're getting in all these schools. I'm sure the curriculum wasn't the issue, but your behavior and the way you, your perspective that didn't shift at all. Like none of that changed. So you're gonna keep running into this problem. Yeah, I mean, and and I didn't even decide to dive into myself until ten years later. You know, I I took that wild ride from eleven. If you had to say something happened beforehand, I actually did get sent away to India alone 
uh, before I went to Mexico. And I think that's where it kind of started making me feel like, you know, like no one's here for me. No I one's here for you. Yeah. Love me. My friends don't love me. I'm alone. Right. So mode. why? Okay. To psychoanalyze you. Why did you get sent away to India? Um, I don't really remember. So what my father, and my, my mother told me was that um, they want me to have a cultural experience back then. Uh, I think later on in life, he told me like, you know, with your, with the new business I was doing, Rocky, and with your little brother and sister, you were just getting too hard to handle. You wouldn't listen to us. You would go bicycling. You would leave the house, you know, and go outside, um, you know, and I was only 10 or 11. Um, but he was like, I wanted you to go there and learn about it. And honestly, I'm, I'm grateful for everything that's happened to me because it made me where I am and it's allowed me to do so much for my life and touch so many people. Um, but India, I'm so grateful for. You know, as a kid, I was scared. I was alone. I didn't know what was going on. Mm -hmm. I remember mom left me in the airport, gave me a wallet. My dad flew there with me. And then when he left, I still was like, he's not going to leave me. I'm not about to stay here alone. It's not going to happen. So did at that time, you didn't understand um, fully like you were there for an experience. You thought that they were getting rid of you. You felt. You felt. I felt. I, felt. I didn't know what was yeah. happening. I really didn't think that he would leave me. I thought I knew he was taking me. I knew he was thinking about leaving me there. And I was like, there's no way, like, something's going to happen. Like, I'm not going to just get but left. But why did, the thing is, why, okay, so let's say, I mean, it's hard to go back to the 10-year-old mind, right? Because it, it, most of it is just your emotions, how you felt. Not actually, this is your interpretation of what happened. is not actually reality, right? So how you felt. The feeling was really that you were being, you had two little, two or three siblings two siblings that now took your place and now your parents are getting rid of you yeah i mean that's what it boils down to yeah. um at the end at the end of the day so that's your core feeling so now you have no parents there's no authority you have these strangers who are teaching you some cultural experience that is like it's great but like this is not where i i grew up <laughs> in a different environment like i didn't grow up with all of this stuff so you basically felt like you're kind of raising yourself for yourself by yourself you were detached from all your friends yep. like yeah i mean i had to i did like the food they had there i couldn't eat it so i would only eat like once a week i would sneak out of that house and i would go to the market and get chicken like a pound of chicken and eat it all in one week i would leave without telling anybody and take a train ride across the country to go play so tennis. you were sneaking out even when you were in another country i have like a parents there so i was like I wasn't really sneaking out i was more just like not telling them and just going i would just leave you know they had their own kid to deal with uh, kids to deal with so like there were some like distant family friends but they were super young and they didn't like know what to do with this like almost teenager young boy from america um oh. I'd get a bicycle, get a scooter, and just hop on a bus and just go places. And I didn't know what else to do. I was like, I'm alone. I don't. My parents aren't here. Right. Like, I'm not gonna sit in this room. You know what I mean? Let me just go explore. And you know, I didn't, but you I, didn't. You weren't scared. I was. I mean, I got hit by a bus. I got lost. <laughs> I lost my glasses. Like all kind of stuff happened. Like, <laughs> but I mean, I was okay. I ended up. Everything ended up being okay. You're like, like it's all right. It's all right. I can't see, but it's all right. I'm gonna get there. <laughs> Well, damn. Okay. So we persevere. <laughs> so you, so now we are 20 something. What did you do to get put into big boy jail? Cause that's a whole nother ball game. So at 17, I graduated from the last program, the one in Canada, New York. I got out of there, had my fake high school diploma cause they weren't even an accredited school. Uh, but I got accepted into college and they want, my parents wanted me to go down South. 
And so at 17, after whatever I went through the five years before that, I was like, I'm grown. I, I, I'm going to go out to the world. I'm going to go crazy. I don't care about authority. I don't care what people say. But you didn't care about authority to begin with. It didn't seem. I, I, I honestly, like from 11 to 16, like I was still pretty, I was a good kid. Like I would still respect my elders. I would respect authority. Yeah. I just wasn't going to be quiet when they were throwing BS in my face, racism so in my face. So now you're like, I am man. Here I come. Exactly. <laughs> I and just then Popo's like, get your ass in the back. We going to jail. <laughs> I, I, I locked up like 10 or 15 times for small stuff in between. Oh, like, my gosh. It's all drugs and, and you know, alcohol. I mean, <clears throat> I dove like headfirst into drugs, selling drugs, doing drugs, getting robbed, being robbed, robbing other people, violence, um, sex, parties, girls, all just but crazy. What, what, now looking back on it, like, what is it that you're trying to fill in your life? Like, you want somebody to care? You, uh, is it that you want someone to just care about what you're doing? I think partly, yes. I think I think I've realized this actually just the last couple of months. A lot of times when I want to like bother somebody else or hurt someone else that loves me, I tend to hurt myself. Of or, course, you know, yes, uh, of course. All your your whole process is all just hurting yourself. The reason is why. So w you either need attention want attention or affection or you you you're acting out in these ways because that's the only way you get somebody to care what you're doing and in your case it happens to be the police they care a lot about what you're doing all the time they're constantly caring about what you are doing they, care it, <laughs> they go get you anytime somebody calls I they put you in, happen. they give you a ride <laughs> everywhere you need to go. <laughs> we can laugh about it now because it's already over. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> my gosh, my gosh, the life lessons we got to learn. All right. <clears throat> so you get picked up because you were doing drugs. Um, I would get so Alabama is really hard with marijuana. I was, I would yeah. have marijuana smoking it and you know, I would get arrested small times here and there. But eventually, I got deeper into selling drugs and selling cocaine and selling pills. Um, and they had an undercover sting operation with the feds, the state, and the mm. local police. I uh, did a controlled buy, had me on audio and video, and that was my distribution of controlled substance conviction from 2009. Um, and they did like jail for a little bit, uh, rehab for a little bit, house arrest for a little bit, until finally I was just not listening because I was still smoking. And I was like, they put me on house arrest, and I'd have like parties with like 50 to 100 people at my house. What? I just do what oh, I could. Oh my god. And so finally, like, we're sending this kid to prison. And the judge was like, I'm giving you 10 years. Goodbye. 10 and, uh, years? In Alabama, you serve 33% of your time. So I ended up, you know, only in prison and jail, like, lock up roughly two, two and a half, three years. So I mean, dang, dude. You had all of the steps to stop you along the way. All of the rehab methods, even, even Mexico, Canada. No way. They couldn't send you to any state. You were just reckless. Yeah, every every bit of like now we have like terms and like actual people like doing wellness and in healing and meditation, right, and right. they've tried that on me. It just goes to show like even nowadays, if someone's not open to it, open to yeah. receive and willing yeah. to, there's nothing. There's nothing that's gonna except for their own path. And honestly, I could be locked up for life. I could be dead. I could be in the hospital. Yeah. Where so I, I really truly feel like now where I am, you know, ten years past, twelve years past, all that that. As crazy as it sounds, like everything that I went through had to happen. And by the grace of God, a higher power, higher energy, the universe, I was blessed enough not to like, like I had like all my entire jaws fake, you know, I have 
metal in here. I have scars and stab wounds and half my head cut open, half my arm cut off. Uh, but I'm still walking, talking. I'm from breathing. all of, from all of your shenanigans. Everything. <laughs> so even all that physical trauma, you still was like, "I'm gonna do me. No one's controlling me. That's it." I remember when my jaw got crushed, right, and I have metal plates in here. About seven months later, I still had no teeth on this side of my mouth. I was in New Orleans, and I was like, "I want to pick a fight with someone to see if I get hit, I'll be okay." So I picked a fight with some little bouncer or bartender. Why, 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 why did that make sense to you in your I brain? I just wanted to know that I could get hit and not not have it break again. You and planning on getting uh, hit uh, over and over? <laughs> after, after that happened, like before, like when I went to military school, I started like, you know, fight defending myself, actually. Right. I would never like be violent or swing on anybody or hit anybody first. After this happened, um, I will be like not wanting anybody to hit me first. I started getting to an angry point where I was looking for fights. And right. honestly, in my mind, I was trying to work through, like, Rocky, like, you can't just be jumpy and punch mm -hmm. someone. Punch mm -hmm. you. I, never, I never had violence on my record. I never got in trouble for violence because it didn't really come up much. But it would be so close all the time. And, like, my right. whole energy and body and mind would get so hyped and ready. Like, Yeah, it's all the adrenaline running through your body because, you know, you're starting stuff that you don't need to be starting. Like, you easily could diffuse a situation, but you pick a situation. And see now, like with the way I carry myself, like I used to be the person I would get in arguments, I'll get in road rage things. Like now, like I'm not only am I looking for it, just my whole vibe, like my vibration when I'm meeting people, talking to people. If something like crazy happens, I smile and I like I give like love and like it doesn't come to me. People don't cut me off in road. Police don't bother me. Random uh, people don't say anything to me. Like I, it's always a good exchange. Like I don't even remember the last time I had like any kind of like negative encounter with anybody. So you finally had a shift somewhere. It finally like there's a shifts like, of pushing against the shift while the shift was coming. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all very self-destructive, right? You have to kill the old self to be the new self, and you took that literally. Like <laughs> you brutalized and had other created situations where other people could brutalize you over and over again because that's the way you felt the first time that it happened to you. That's the only reason. You were just reliving that first instance and you're like, well, this is what I'm going to get served again and again and again and again and again. And finally you shift it. So you're in jail, you come up with this business plan because now you're in there for long-term and you, well, was it your, your cellmate that kind of moved your mindset to think like, hey, we need to figure out what we're going to do when we get out or how did that come about? So it was in Alabama, we have dorms. And and for me, it was like either I'm going to buy a satellite phone, an encrypted car and be like the best drug dealer in the world or I need to figure out something else to do. Like I had I'm looking at my journals and I read it. I'm like, wow, that's really I was really at a crossroads between going all into the, the, you know, the, the gangster crazy life or like trying to do something else. For me, at this point, I was like, you know what? I don't feel like going to law school, even though I got accepted, took the LSAT. I, like, I don't want to go to law school anymore. My father wants me to do medicine. How did you take the LSATs when you're sitting in all these this is before, juvies? And it was it was between 18 and 21. I mean, I, I was a seven-year freshman. It took me seven years to graduate. However, uh, when I finally got down to it, I think I completed almost four years of college classwork in about a year and a half. I took 18 hours and summer classes and just finished it. I ended up with a 4.0 GPA in my major and like a 3.76 like overall because of other stuff I did. So like I was finally ready. I was like, let me get college out of the way, you know, like and, and I did it. And I was like, OK, I want to do some professional LSAT, this and that. 
Um, and, you know, like, that was a factor when they were sentencing me, like, trying to, like, oh, he got accepted into law school, let him go to law school. And if they would have said, right. yeah, I would probably be in law school right now. And honestly, I feel like I'd be miserable. Uh, like, the way it turned out, like, I'm glad that judge didn't say, you know what? Oh, my God, you would have beat up a lawyer. You would have had no defense. <laughs> you would have got in real trouble. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, honestly, like, I, once again, like, the violence thing was nothing for me. Me, I'm more like, I would have figured out some way to play around the system, get in the gray oh, area, funny drugs and stuff like that. You know what I mean? That would have probably, and then I would have hated being like in, in like a courtroom every day. Like I don't, yeah. even to this day, if I have to go to the traffic ticket thing, I'm just like, ah, oh, I don't want to be in this courthouse. It's just so institutional <laughs> and smells the same. Like, I don't, I don't like it. Like, I wonder what you were in your past life. You probably got that character still stuck in you somewhere. <laughs> this rebellious spirit that keeps on coming out. All right. So how did you get into, so you're with your roommate and uh, dorm mate, whatever, and you're talking about the business and you realize, you know, was it his sisters or friends that were like, Hey, hair, get into hair extensions. They were just like, oh, like, he was talking to sister, like, you got an Indian dude in there with you? Because no Indian people go to prison in Alabama anyway. So they were like, oh, you got an Indian dude? Like, we need to get that Indian hair. And so Ja, like, the dude, um, he would, we would sit there and write other business plans down. And eventually, like, he saw, he would see my business plans. He'd be looking at it, like, oh, that's cool, Ralph. Like, that's a good idea. And he's like, yo, what about hair? And I was like, I don't know. He talked to me about it. So we did. And we talked about it. We called them. And, like, we started, I made a, I still have that one-page business plan, actually. And uh, that wasn't gonna be the one, you know. Like that wasn't the main idea. I didn't okay. know what I was doing still. I was just when I got out, like I told you, I got back in the same lifestyle, you know. Like um, mm -hmm. I was all almost got locked. I did get locked up twice or three times, and almost got violated and sent back to prison. If I went back, I would have had to do seven years. Um, luckily, you know, but you know, the universe said, you know, you've done your time. We're not sending you back, but you need to learn your lesson. Seriously. So, <laughs> finally, after like two years or three years after prison, I got my teeth back. Um, you know, they, they finally put they did the surgery, took the bone out of my head, put it in my mouth and gave like, my this is an actual conversation we're having. After I got out of prison, I got the bones structured in my face and teeth inserted back in my mouth. Like you hear yourself, right? Okay. Yeah, Just checking. Uh, uh, <laughs> you all sound so normal when other people, other people. It's regular. <laughs> so you got your teeth back. And then, <laughs> and then got all, all the paperwork, all the probation. They had a court date, and like the judges were all like, "Okay, you're five, seven, eight years. You're finally done with this. Like we're letting you go." And once again, I was back in the same lifestyle. I was dating multiple girls. I was selling drugs. I was smoking weed. I was partying every night. What happened to your business plan? I didn't think about it again until one day, November fourth, two thousand twelve. My dad randomly, we, who have always butted head with, came to me and he was like humbly and nicely and like lovingly like hey i haven't really seen you much you haven't really asked us for money much um i don't know what you're doing really um maybe you know if you want to get out of town and go try something new i'll do it for you i'll, I'll pay for it and I, he was like you know, anywhere in the world you want to go so i could go either to canada london or india and that night I, I slept on it i woke up on november 5th and i was like i'll go two days later i was on a plane um november 7th my mom's birthday um to india and I let go of all the like, cars, the money I gave my dad, the drugs I had. I said bye to the people. I you say, confessed. You confessed that what you were doing to your father. Yeah, I told him I was like, here's like this is what I have, and throw it away. He's a doctor. You can you know get rid of it properly or whatever you want to do. Um, and it wasn't like a big like cry like oh my god I'm changing my life thing. I was just like yeah. I don't know I don't like 
being addicted to these opiates anymore. I don't like looking over my shoulder. I don't like the girl I'm dating. I don't like the craziness <laughs> of my life. Like I, I'm, I'm partying on Snapchat. It looks like I'm like the happiest, most like right. crazy, like party kid in the world. But I'm like going crazy inside. Yeah. Well, if you new. look at people, um, and their Instagram and their social media and all that stuff, those people that have the smiling pictures that it took them like. 20 million takes to get that perfect smiling. Those are some of the most sad, lonely, depressed, deprived people because they're trying too hard. They're just trying too hard to look too normal because normal doesn't look like so posed and great and fun. Normal look, normal is average. Yeah. <laughs> Normal's like, eh, you know, like exactly. it's not, it's not all that. So you had this revelation. Yeah, and I, I feel like I had like three of them. This was like my first like outside, okay. like some kind of calling. And I was like, I'm going to listen to it. And that was, okay. like, that was 2012. Um, so I went to India and like I let go of cigarettes, everything, weed. Um, I lived on a village with a family friend uh, in Punjab, India, and uh, did farming with him, worked out with him on a daily basis um, and just kind of got clean, detoxed and stopped talking to people that I was talking to. Uh, started listening to like a little bit of motivational stuff, not totally yet. I got into mm -hmm. that later. Mm -hmm. But yeah, eventually I was like, you know what? Cool. Like I'm clean. Like I'm I'm out of that lifestyle. I'm away from there. Like what am I going to do with my life now? So I started looking for a business in India. I was like, oh, I can own a liquor store. I can own a restaurant. I can own a hotel. I can. So you, know, you were planning to live there, like stay there, live there? Yeah. I, I had rented in a car. I had uh, rented an apartment. You know, I did everything. And um met my now ex-wife there as well uh at that time um and started the hair business i eventually was like you know what i remember like i have this business plan from prison with hair and it's indian hair and they're in india so let me start researching it so i started traveling all around and visiting manufacturers visiting temples visiting factories learning about the labor learning about the quality the supply the demand everything and then one day i made a facebook post uh, about like having hair and all my homegirls from high school and back in Alabama, they were like, yo, Rocky, you got hair. Like, hit us up. We're going to work with you. Like, those <laughs> and I was like, You were busy with pills and drugs, and you didn't even know the gold of hair you were sitting on. Oh, my gosh. Exactly. <laughs> What's funny? It's that legal crack. <laughs> that legal crack. That's, that's what, I, what I do in my business classes, and especially people from that lifestyle. I explained it to them like basically like it was like drugs, like crack almost. Because it's like mm -hmm. if you're, especially if you're transitioning from going to that and you want something legal and legit and different, it's such a crazy cool correlation, like how the, the businesses are kind of aligned. Like hair is yeah, an unregulated yeah. industry. Obviously, drugs are unregulated and illegal, but hair is legal. So I, I kind of explain it using that. And the people that have been through it, they're like, Whoa, that makes so much sense. Like I get it. Like, thank you. So it, it all, like I said, it all happened for a reason. Like it all, the whole story <laughs> progress, like to be how it is. But um, yeah. So when this happened to me, we had a lawsuit. The DA wouldn't press criminal charges against me because they thought they're like they told my dad like your son's a convict and he's a drug dealer. We're not pressing charges against the guys that did it to him. So we went to a civil suit, and that civil suit eventually settled whatever. Well, for my jaw was how I used that money to start basically the hair company. Um, and so you got beat up. Was it by I guards? Got picked up and thrown into a concrete sidewalk, and my face slid across the sidewalk. So honestly, and this is hard to say 10 years ago, I was really mad at them. Um, but obviously, I'm okay now. I don't think they meant to hurt me as bad as they did. They just were like trying to throw me on the ground. Yeah. Um, but when they did, it hit the sidewalk and like 
you seen American History X where they curb stomp the dude? Yo, like, ooh, ooh. I do not like that vision. Ugh. <laughs> that's that's what happened. Like, yeah, and so like I just you know, somehow I was still conscious, but I said I walked into the hospital and my entire jaw was just like a jumble of bones. All the teeth, like only only four teeth, are like totally real. The rest of oh. them have all kind of stuff on them. Oh my god, that'll stop you from talking back to people, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, remember I told you six months later I, I started a fight on my own just to see if I could get hit in the face. I started like doing like this, and I was like, I want to see if like if I get hit, if I'll be okay real quickly. Like that was no, my like, no. back. That makes no sense. <laughs> that must be the drugs. That, that doesn't make no sense. <laughs> I probably pay a, a big factor in it as well. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, it's not a major issue now, and you've uh, hopefully learned from these life experiences that you don't want to encounter again, and you're not going to put yourself in that situation because now we're vibing high. So we're hey. high on we're high on hair. <laughs> high on hair. <laughs> and we are in the manufacturing business. So you have your own brand. Hair yep. Maiden. Okay, hair so how did you come up with Hair Maiden, or is it as simple as hair made in India? So we sell virgin hair, human hair. Got uh, and it. So Maiden. Like, like your mother's maiden name. Yes. yes. And then it's also from India, so made in India. All that stuff as far as like the design stuff, I, we did all over there. Like I got the labels, everything all quickly. I got the LLC on the laptop while I was sitting in India. By the time I got to the States um, with my now ex-wife at the time, uh, everything was ready to go and i'm a born hustler born salesman so like as soon as i touched mm -hmm. in the airport talking to tsa giving out business cards at the <laughs> gas station at the restaurants the stores going to salons so i just started working you know i was like i never done anything legal before or worked um and now i have a wife that i want to take care of so i got a job teaching tennis as well um and i was getting like almost 50 dollars an hour in connecticut and new jersey um nice. so was, and uh and i tore my acl and I was like, man, I thought I'd be able to do this tennis thing forever and be okay. I really got to dive into this business even more now. Yeah. So I doubled down on my business, started doing trade shows, just going around everywhere. Um, and eventually we moved from New Jersey to Cali and came with, to her family's house. And about two weeks later, we broke, we broke up, we split up. And oh, man, you moved all the way to California to get divorced? Drove there, drove there. <laughs> <laughs> even worse maybe there was a drive that did it that pushed you over the edge definitely was part of it and i mean she's a great person we had our differences i think a lot of it was i wasn't totally ready at that point i was still yeah. like out of my crazy lifestyle dude you're a hot mess like your jaw wasn't even healed your teeth weren't even back all the way like you're you're a hot mess i could tell you already you were a hot mess like <laughs> you can't that's not a survive that's not a survivable uh relationship for for either of you you yeah. know, you're still in transformation mode when you're in that stage, like you're not where you are supposed to be yet. So somebody would have to be transforming at the same rate as you. And that's like nearly impossible to do it. That nearly was impossible. Huge progression during that time. I did like I like yeah. I started I wanted to do acting. I started acting. I, I was on a Hollywood like play and stuff and I was doing all kind of other stuff and she wasn't really liking it. She was kind of like, what are you doing? You know, what I mean, like and like that just caused more and more issues. And then yeah. like. You know, we were both drinking and smoking together, and that would cause issues. Oh, that's not good either, then. And, like, I still had, like, insecurities and, like, all kind of stuff that I was working through. You know I mean? I was definitely consciously working on it, but it didn't – someone like someone else also had to, like, kind of bear the weight of that at the same time, and especially if mm -hmm. they're really 
with you and then you both live together and work together like she was kind of having to bear all that and eventually like you know it didn't didn't work out um and i was left homeless i was living in a minivan in la and all my <laughs> family and friends they were like come home rocky come home yeah I, I started slipping i almost got back in the you know the old lifestyle and i don't know what's what what it was it was i think it was like definitely the universe it was like know what rocky like you're here you see how business is going. You see your hustling. You see you're yeah, able to make it happen. Make it happen. And it took a year to even like I have I'm a con a convicted felon. I have no job history. I have no bank account. You know, so like to get had to get a place eventually. I was staying in hostels and a minivan and literally on the side of the road sometimes. Um, so eventually, this place downtown, uh, who I never even saw the place, said, "If you show us X amount of dollars in your bank account, business bank account, we'll let you get a place." So like I had like half that amount of money and I was like trying to make it work and I was like buying hair, selling hair, meeting people, driving all around LA whenever anybody asked me to come meet them. And a lot of my clients from back then that saw me in that homeless hustling stage, they're some of my best clients now and like just rave about like, yo, Rocky, it was so awesome seeing you sitting on the ground inside of a tire shop with your suitcase of hair showing us <laughs> to where you're sitting right now in Beverly Hills. Like, you yeah, know, yeah, I mean, hello. <laughs> But I mean, I hustled, hustled it, and finally, I got you need it. a you need a movie like what I need like a Netflix series or something like Jesus, kid. <laughs> I know, All the way up to the hair business, <laughs> and, and that was my second transformation. So when I got in that place downtown, Cinco de Mayo, I think 2015 or 16 or something like that, um, I quit drinking for a while, quit smoking weed for a while, I quit eating meat. I don't eat meat now. I started doing yoga, started doing meditation. I didn't have any friends and I wanted friends and I knew I was starting to get in the wrong crowd. So my friend mm -hmm. Sean flew in from Korea, one of my best, my best friend and like shining light in my life since a young age um, and kind of introduced me to these communities in LA of like yoga, wellness, breathwork, meditation, healing, just good vibes, high vibes, good food. He knew you needed some centering there. He's like, let's bring it inside. Exactly. And Sean's not the type to like force anything on you or teach you anything. Yeah. He just lived with me. He knew I was going through the breakup and he was like, just supported me and just, it was like two or three weeks. And like in that time, what he showed me, like the music he listened to, the audio tapes he listened to, Tony Robbins, Robin Sharma, Joe Dispenza, you know, uh, Oh, I love Joe Dispenza. Yeah, Dr. Doc. Braden's a good one. And like, and I was like, yo, like, I don't want to listen to any of this, like, boosty, webby, jeezy I've been listening to. I want nothing but this positive stuff in me. I don't want TV anymore. I don't want to talk. I stopped talking to all my old friends, like, completely. Well, that's good. You got to shed the old skin if you want to grow into the new skin. Exactly. And, I mean, it took me three years of working at that place downtown, keeping the shop open 24-7. Um, and all of a sudden, my business is doing. It went from New, in New Jersey. If I did five thousand in the business in a month, I'd be like, "Oh my God, five thousand revenue in a month! How did I do that?" To doing fifty thousand, and like, wow, nice. like it's actually legit now. Um, and that was downtown, but that place I had downtown, my ex-wife came back for a little bit, and we tried it again for a little bit, didn't work. So I was like, everyone's like, "Oh, Rocky's in this beautiful loft downtown. His business is doing okay. Like he's like right next to the Staples Center. He must be successful." And once again, I was miserable. You're you know, lonely. The well, loneliness. The, I was sad. I was still you're with you. Yeah, I just. You're I, with you. It's hard because if you didn't like you before, which is why you kept getting yourself beat up, even with money and success, if you not change the inside, the mind and the self-love, that that's going to keep on creeping up. But it will actually creep up to show you 
to exactly. change, to accept it, to make it different. So that, how did we work it, this out? So I spent a lot of time alone there. Um, I was still at, at, in the beginning, like maybe six to nine months before COVID or whatever happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like still partying, still going out, drinking, but I was also alone and, and keeping my energy to myself and trying to figure out what's going on. Like I'm making money. I'm doing everything. I have a car. I have a spot. I have money. I have everything I wanted, but like I'm waking no up happiness. crying. Like I'm in the bathroom pulling my hair out. I'll, <laughs> I'll find in the front of my showroom and smile. And then I'll walk to the back and I'll have tears in my eyes. crying. Yeah. You're like, you're <laughs> <laughs> you know what? after, after you have kids, the hormones run through your body and that's exactly how you experience life. You'll be like happy, fun, playing one second, you turn around and you're like, your eyelashes are falling out. You can't brush your teeth anymore. Like you don't even want to put a bra on. And then, but then you're like, you have this beautiful little baby and you go out and you have a nice new things and you look cute in the pictures, but then you're like home miserable <laughs> alone. But, but it's like such, it's hard because that is the, it's called the um, dark night of the soul. Yeah. If you haven't heard it, look Shout it up. Out. Yeah. The dark night of the soul. And that is you confronting you. Exactly. And that, that's the journey you got to go through. And it's right here. It's right now at that 35, 36 year old stage. I remember going through it. I remember it clearly. I couldn't sleep for like 10 months. Same. Like could Same. not sleep for 10 months. I would wake up and be like, please, like, let me just go unconscious. I don't need to dream. Just let me just pass out. And nope, 10 straight months of no sleep. And then finally, as I worked on the body, as I worked on the breathing, the meditation, as I worked on like all those inner things to work on, I started being able to stay asleep for like three hours a night, yeah. you know, and it slowly became more routine. So now I could stay asleep for like maybe five hours a night. <laughs> was, I, I'm right five to six right now. So. <laughs> I would, I mean, it's, that's a, it's a tough time, but then once you get through it and you come out the other side of it, you're like, oh, that like it was nothing, but it wasn't nothing because when you were in it, you were like wanting to beat your brains out, you know. And then COVID happened the same time for me, so like yeah. while like trying to do this, all this, like I went to Bali actually, so I was like smoking weed still, and I was trying to reflect on myself, but I was so cloudy. And when I went to Bali, I set the intention. I was like, I'm gonna stop smoking weed. I've never tried to stop smoking on my own. I've been made to quit this and that. But I was like, this time for myself, I'm gonna mm-hmm. give it. A, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna see what happens. I'm going to see what happens if I let go weed. I remember sitting down in my apartment downtown before I went to Bali, rolling a joint, and like sad and like like tears in my eyes. Like, how am I ever going to have fun again if I can't smoke weed? What am I going to do? (laughs) And now I can laugh at it because it was so like, it was so funny because I was so serious. I was like, life is over. I'm about to stop smoking weed. Like, I don't know how to like have fun. What do I do? How are you like, gonna function? I'm not gonna function, right? Like, but Bali was a blessing. Um, I, I did everything. I was in Ubud, and I did you know yoga, meditation, breath work. I met just the purest, most beautiful souls that somehow knew what I was trying to do and what I was going through, and would just yeah, because most of them are escaping the same thing you were escaping and on your search for. So where are we now with the hair empire? What are we doing? 
hair is going beautifully during during covid i had time to slow down reflect not only on myself and spend time alone but also restructure my entire business okay. I, was, I was scared to move out of that place downtown because you know they had gave me a place i saw this record and this felony so i was like oh i might not get in a place but i have to get out of here i was like not good energy not a good vibe there i had to leave everyone once again told me my clients my partners my parents you're crazy what are you doing don't leave this place your business is going to go down everything's going to mess up and i was like it's time to go so I get I, this was a uh, last summer I took and this was another big shift in my life. Everything I had, all the accumulations, all the dishes, all the beds, all the electronics, all my suits, all my shoes, I gave everything away to the homeless downtown LA. I actually walked down the street. I was like, "Yo, you guys need some stuff? Come here." And got them to walk in my apartment and just pick up stuff and take it and just take it and just I get rid of everything. I got my life down to a backpack, a carry-on suitcase, and a tennis bag. And you I did the purge. I did the purge. I did the purge. <laughs> and I moved into a hostel in West LA. Why? Why did you do that though? I, I like, so I, I grew up in boot camps, military schools, right? So I, I'm better being in a group living environment when I'm single than like be, having my own place. I didn't want uh -oh. my own place, you know? I wanted to be if, in a group. If I were your therapist, I would say red flag that <laughs> for sure. Red flag that because the only reason you want to be around other people's energy is because you don't like your own energy, which means don't bombard yourself with other people. Fix you. Yeah. And I mean, that's what I was doing during COVID. Too. I had like six months of like just myself in that apartment of like going through the tears of quitting. I'm doing it sober, you know, as well. So yeah. I was like, well, it's time for me to like get back. Like I want to meet people. I want to be around people. Yeah. And actually, like I had a business mind of doing it well. And I did hire three or four people there to do small okay. jobs this so i had like a mindset going into it. i wasn't gonna stay there forever i was like let me because i was looking for apartments too but i was like i didn't find anything i loved so i was like let me move the hostel's only 1400 a month i'm on venice beach i can walk to the water every day Ugh, right isn't venice like polluted with a whole bunch of crazy whacked out meth heads right now i was like a mile away from all that so like a mile <laughs> you could see it but like where i was it was like it's a nice big house actually and yeah um during that time it was summer and it was covid so like it wasn't like packed so it was very right, nice nobody was there. It was really for me it was like it was healing you know i i had good conversations i'm very open and talkative so everybody around me knew why i was there knew i was going through a divorce knew i was changing my business knew my parents were mad at me for not coming home all kind of <laughs> stuff. and like, it was like a, it was like a group like community i had of like talking to them and what's wild is the girl i'm with right now i actually met her there she was on a day trip down from her parents house and we met and at that point i was dating i was looking around i wanted to meet somebody that was like aligned with like working on themselves, mm -hmm. reading books I'm reading, caring about spirituality. And I had never met a woman like that. You know, my exes were not anything like that. They're all business minded and high fi and flashy and this and that. And I met this like little cute girl in the kitchen one day and she like made fun of my watch. And then we became friends and started hanging out. And all of a sudden we're sitting on a hammock one day and I was like, she's like reading like um, Spiral Dynamics, you know, by Frederick Dotson, I think. And, I was, and making notes in it. And I was like, did this, like, did the universe just, like, that fast? Like, I just, <laughs> I just asked for it. When uh, you're open to it, it comes that fast. And, and you're, yeah, you're in the manifestation mode. Exactly. And at, at that same time last year, um, you know, my business started doing six figures a month. Um, nice. You know, until now, we've done that consistently for a year now. Um, I've opened up a new business, two new businesses. I've started a vacation rental property. I uh, bought one and I Airbnb it and I'm looking for my next one. Uh, I moved into this beautiful office in in, in uh, Beverly Hills. And I mean, me and her have been 
we're, she's younger than me too. I've always dated girls six years older than me. Um, so oh. it's definitely new. Um, and we've had our struggles as well. Plenty of them, you know, in between we both, we're both very, very, um, hard headed in a lot of ways. And we both want the same things, but we both have our own ideas of how to how get, to get there. there. Yeah. <laughs> and I've, I've learned a lot from her. You know, she's, she probably like is kind of intimidated by me sometimes about where my business is and about how much I've achieved and grown so fast in the, in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't give herself enough credit because i've learned i've learned a lot from her like we we broke up just a a month ago and like spent some time apart and got back together and it kind of made me realize like wow like you know i don't need anything else from her but what i'm learning and 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 what we're growing from each other and she's learning on on the business side from me right learning on like the more energy and flow side from her and it's just created so much so now one of the reasons for the podcast i started doing was to share my story but now we're like co-creating wellness events retreats coaching uh prisons and stuff together um so it's beautiful man so yeah. what would you say is like now having come you know from such a low place beating yourself up going through this whole personal journey while you're still on your path though i mean i mean that's pretty tough to do so you went through all this you have all this life experience as an entrepreneur what did you learn from going to all those institutions that set you up for entrepreneurship? Um, about people and life, and you know, I just met so many different people. Um, and then I think a lot of the, a lot of my like hustle and like resilience mindset, and you know, like hey, whatever happens, especially as an entrepreneur, you got to be ready to take the punches and and you know, shift and adapt. And that's just my nature. Like for me, I'm almost, and I think my girlfriend actually told me that she does a lot of like reading about dharma and like soul work and, and and light reading and she's like rocky the type of business person you are you're a responder and i was like you're so right because when things are going smooth I'm, I'm like cool smooth but when things started happening like we had riots downtown we had covid like right. that like i really that's when i my biggest asset i become like the biggest asset to myself i or my, my body my mind my, my soul it knows what to do I just hop into action and get it done. I mean, what thing is crazy is like since I started this company, this business, maybe the first two years, that's it. But I've never felt like I've been working. I'm in my office right now. I got shorts and a t-shirt on. Like, yeah. I, and I have clients coming in an hour, and they all know me. And I just don't. None of it feels like work. Like even doing inventory or like packing, like it's all just fun to me. And I'm all. I'm like. I'm like. I have my own business where I'm, I made it. Like and I'm. Like why would I not pack up my own boxes? Because you're living in your own creation. Yeah. And I so love why it. would why would it be tense? But now we have to go back to living in your body, <laughs> living with yourself, living with your own emotions. And actually, you already know how to do the manifesting. You just are not applying it. So when it comes to like the spiritual, physical, emotional side, you can tell yourselves what to do. You can tell your mind what to feel. You could you could dictate to your emotions how you want it to be there's a space where it's not sitting lonely where you can be sitting in solitude with yourself you know not not having to feel like nobody else is with me because you're always around especially if you get into the spiritual realm you're always in connection with your own self your own source so you're never alone you're just detaching yourself Exactly. I've been listening to a lot of Abraham Hicks lately, and she talks all oh, about I love like, her. Where it's like, yeah. 
it's been really powerful. And now, like, I don't listen to music much anymore. I listen to YouTube's and podcasts. And yeah. morning now, I wake up and I do a 10-minute guided meditation. And I take that hour or two alone. Even mm-hmm. when I go to the in the morning, like, I have my earphones in. I don't talk to anybody. You know, I'm in L.A. And, like, every girl in there has, like, the tightest booty shorts on, like, a broad <laughs> on. Like, I'm just, like, focused. I'm, like, I'm doing my thing. This is my time. And the next hour, I have my coffee. I'm, like, I'm, it's, it's my time. And, and that's, like, that's, like was tough for me before you know it was, it was yeah. very tough. and i have a coach now as well i meet him once a week he's like a soul coach a freedom coach oh, a good. Life coach. and i noticed with him last week where, where he was asking me like rocky like in the five months we've worked together i've watched you transform ridiculously do you see it do you acknowledge yourself and i was like bro you know what for the first time i think in my entire life i'm excited about the next day i'm yeah. like I'm like, oh, I can't wait to go to sleep and wake up and do another day again. Whether it's yeah. tough, whether like I have emotional stuff come up, whether my dad calls me and blows me, whether me and my girl get in an argument, whether a client has a bad review, whatever it is, like I'm excited to like have that happen that day, have that day, you know. And I, I realized it and I was like, wow, I don't think I've ever had that before. You know, what I mean, the only time I've been excited to wake up and go to sleep is like if I know I'm going to a party or a trip or a concert or you know something. So, what like do you that. think has flipped for you in that regard, like? Why do you think now versus the way you were before? I feel like I'm still, like you said before, to like in the process. Like I think healing is going to be a, always like lifelong process. But I think I've been so consistent in it now for mm-hmm. a couple of years that I'm finally. Because in the beginning, I'm listening to, to Robin Sharma, Jodas, and I'm, I'm like crying. Like, what are they uh, saying? <laughs> I'm going to keep listening to it, but I don't get it. How is it ever going to be good for me? Like. And now I'll hear it and I'm like, yo, thank you. And like, I just, I just saying gratitude. I, I know I can't call Tony Robbins, but like, he has to be able to feel it. Like some of the stuff that they say, like even Dr. Dyer, you know, he's rest in peace. He's not here. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I'm just so grateful for it. And I, I feel that. You lift. know, who is a good person that you will like if you haven't listened to him already is Neville Goddard. Neville Goddard. I think I have heard that name. My like, favorite. When yeah. I first started listening to him. Um, I, I was listening to Greg Braden and a few other speakers and they kept referencing Neville Goddard, Neville Goddard, Neville Goddard. And then I listened to him and because of his accent, like I, I just couldn't get it. Like I didn't get it. I didn't understand. But now like that, that was what I needed for my own breakthrough when it comes to like manifesting and being confident in what the next day brings. Because a lot of times we get so stressed out and upset and frantic and have anxiety attacks because we don't know what tomorrow is going to be and we can't force it and whatever. But now you're in the space where like you are present and you can also create tomorrow. You can also create and, and have a say in what that's going to be. So exactly. like moving forward, good vibes. <laughs> it, it's almost magical. And I would be the one of the ones a couple of years ago to almost make fun of someone that said what I'm going to say is like, everything is coming to me. Like, yes, it does. Just now, and, now you're not fighting the flow. You're downstream. So you're flowing with it. <laughs> you're, you're no longer like Abraham Hicks says, you're no longer holding that cork under the water. You know, you're bobbing on top and it makes life a lot easier when you don't have to have control of everything that you're able to just bob and weave and keep moving and flow with it and be okay with something didn't happen this way, that way. It's 
came up another way. Like you got to be okay with all those things and manage those emotions. Like my favorite time is really alone yeah. when I'm by myself. But before I felt that lonely, but now it's like, I need my alone time. I need my serenity. <laughs> I could just be appreciating the stuff around me and not have other energies bombarded and asking me for stuff or, you know, having to deal with other people. So exactly. the further along you get in your journey, it'll be interesting. You'll have a lot of friends, right? Because you're successful in your business. So you'll have access to things. You have enough money to go places. But along the journey, you will find that the stronger you grow as a person and in your business, the less and less and less people who actually are going to be part of your circle. Yeah, I think I'm, I realize that now, actually, I don't, I don't I, my only two best friends are across the world and I don't really, I'm not looking to like have a whole bunch of friends anymore. I, I have like acquaintances in LA, like we meet at events and we go to things together and we meet up and my girl and I, or me separately myself, but my circle and people I allow like, you know, really into my life is very, very, very small. And, yeah. and what's so cool about that is I can give so much to those certain people because I don't have to worry about 50 other people. The masses, exactly. And they're more appreciative of sharing that energy with you anyways. You know, it's not like the hangers on. You have fans <laughs> and you have followers and likers. And then you have your actual in real life group of friends and people who actually support you, like your family and stuff like that. So, all right. Well, listen, a lot of juice up in here. That was the... <laughs> A lot of details with you. Much more to unpack. I feel like there's like a second chapter to this. Yeah, there's definitely definitely stories in between there. By far one of the more interesting journeys to entrepreneurship I have heard lately, and I've spoken to hundreds of people. <laughs> hundreds of people. <laughs> but I think what what is your takeaway? If you had one thing to tell uh, the younger Rocky, one one nugget of advice, like this is where you're gonna be, bro. Do what would you do? What would you say to that younger Rocky? I would say trust trust in the universe and don't stress out and be so worried about how everything's gonna go. Uh, that's the only like quote unquote if there was a regret or something i wish i didn't do as much would be to worry so much about everything like i used to that that was that started so many other problems for me just being worried and, and having that mindset of like oh something bad is gonna happen and that'd mm -hmm. make you know like and if i could just trust in the universe trust in god trust in myself back then which i do now like that would be the thing i would say just trust rock and everything's gonna be okay and smile you know like there's so many different tools I use to get here from, you know, the yoga, the breath work, meditation, quieting my mind, ridding distractions, you know, getting away from everybody I was. Um, but that's like the, the heart of it is is learning to really trust that that source, that universe, that that knowing, you know, and letting that guide you. And I call it my heart. Love for me, it's love. Uh, that's like my mantra when I feel sick or sad or scared. I just I am love. I am love. I am love. I am love. And love is like what I was searching and chasing and what I thought was. Yes. Yes, a hundred percent. So that's it. Self-love is the best love, as I like to say. <laughs> I agree.
Well, this was a fabulous conversation. We definitely need to link up again. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I mean, I don't even know if I could chop any of this out. Like it was all interesting. <laughs> raw and unfiltered. <laughs> for real, you are the raw and unfiltered. Thank you so much for joining me. Tell people how they can get in touch with you. Oh yeah, definitely. So my name is Rocky Singh Candola. The name of the company is Hair Maiden in India. Um, I have a personal website. It's called Rocky R O C K Y. My last name Candola K A N D O L A. dot com. On that, there's links to not only the blogs and talking about life, but all the businesses that I've started, from hair extensions to vacation rental to CBDTs,、uh, some of my acting stuff, and some new things I'm trying、uh, in coaching as well. So it's RockyCandola. dot com. My direct phone number and email, everything is on that website as well. So hit me up.、Uh, I answer my own phone. I don't have an answering service for any business. <laughs> I, I answer my own calls.、Um, so yeah, get in touch. Perfect. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Have a beautiful day ahead. Thank you too.